Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Guy Marzarati in for Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, Governor Gavin Newsom's being sworn into his second term at the Capitol today. We'll look at the issues and events that defines his first term in office and what he plans to tackle ahead, from gas prices to housing and homelessness to revenue shortfalls and maybe a run for president. And we'll hear from you. Tell us how you think the governor's doing and what his priorities for the next term should be by emailing us at forum at kqed.org. Join us next after this news. This is Forum. I'm Guy Marzarati in for Mina Kim. Governor Gavin Newsom's swearing-in ceremony takes place today, kicking off the start of his second term. This hour, we'll look at the first moves his administration may make in the new year and the challenges it's facing. And joining me live from today's festivities in Sacramento is Nicole Nixon, politics reporter for Cap Radio. Good morning, Nicole. Good morning. So I know you are along the route of a march that's going to lead to today's swearing in. We're a couple hours away from that. Tell us a little bit about what the governor has planned for today. Yeah, so he'll be marching across the Tower Bridge here in Sacramento. That's the golden uh, bridge spanning the Sacramento River um, down the Capitol Mall in front uh, to in front of the state capitol where he will take the oath of office and have a swearing in ceremony at noon. And Newsom swearing in to his first term. I know there was a big storm in Sacramento, got moved uh, under a tent outside the Capitol. I'm sure a lot of folks in his office were amateur meteorologists uh, this week leading up to today. How is the, the storm? Has that altered any of these plans? Like, what's give us a sense of what the scene is like there today? Yeah, it hasn't changed anything from what I can tell. Um, I, I think there was a, a moment, you know, the last couple of days where we thought, you know, it's going to be canceled. I um, thought the march for sure would be canceled, but we get a break in the rain today. Um, I can, you know, the sun's shining on me right now. So, um, you know, we'll see more storms this weekend, but today a bit of a reprieve for this swearing in ceremony. And it's no accident that this inauguration is being held on January 6th. Uh, what can we expect to hear from Newsom today as it relates to the assault on the Capitol? Yeah, um, he did not pick this day by accident. Um, his inaugural committee says that his swearing-in ceremony will focus on freedom and democracy and diversity and celebrating sort of the, the California way and inclusion, all values that he has uh, preached during his term, especially during the last couple of years. Um, we've seen the governor, um, you know, during his, the first half of his first term, uh, he was a, sort of a resistance figure against the Trump administration, leading a lot of attacks and lawsuits against uh, former President Donald Trump. Once Trump left office, uh, we saw him focus more on governors in Republican states, especially for their efforts to sort of restrict abortion, um, LGBTQ rights, um, you know, education and things like that. So 
you know, he's sort of trying to reclaim this idea of freedom that governors in those states proclaim um, and talk about how California is what he calls a true freedom state. And yet there are so many problems here in California, so many issues that, you know, Newsom and his administration will have to tackle. I mean, how do you expect him to thread that needle of both, you know, projecting national leadership, also kind of talking about what he needs to do here in the Golden State, uh, both in today's speech and I guess, you know, for the rest of the year? Yeah, it's a really tricky balance for him because um, his ambitions or potential ambitions for higher office um, have gotten a lot of attention. He ran and won a race for governor last year, but you know, I think people were more curious about his uh, his plans or ambitions for a higher office than that. So, um, as Newsom do- goes through his second term, I think that people, Californians, and people outside of California will really be looking to see how he handles things like homelessness. Um, that could be a real problem for him if he decides to seek higher office and, you know, the, the situation doesn't improve or continues to worsen. Um, this year, another sort of troubling headwind for him could be a state budget deficit. He's had a lot of surplus money to uh, hand out and make some people happy the last two years with surpluses over or close to $100 billion. We're looking at a $25 billion deficit this year. So uh, that could turn some, uh, turn some friends into enemies for him, especially if we see deficits continue um, into coming years as the, legislative, um, the nonpartisan legislative analyst office predicts could happen. And we already know one of Newsom's big policy pushes this year will be around oil prices. He's called a special session to that effect. Are there any other big policy focuses you would expect to hear about today? Or do you think maybe this is a speech that leans more into kind of the national vision you've talked about? Yeah, I would be surprised if we get any um, major policy announcements or, you know, he might touch on his fight against big oil and his um, efforts to address homelessness. Um, but yeah, I would expect his speech today to be, you know, more personal, more, uh, idealistic as it relates to, you know, these ideas of, uh, freedom and democracy that he's talked about, um, you know, today. You have a story up today on capradio.org looking ahead to Newsom's second term, and you write about a presidential pretense predicament. Uh, tell us what you mean by that. (laughs) I mean, like I said, he ran and he won this race for governor, but most people are interested in what he does after this. Um, he has committed to serve all four years of this governor's uh, term, and he says that he will not run uh, in 2024. He's supporting President Joe Biden to run for re-election. Um, but I think that, you know, this, all of this speculation is hanging over this term, and every single policy announcement he makes, everything he does, people will be looking through this lens of how it affects what's next for him, whether it's a run for president or a run for, you know, the Senate seat that's going to be opening up uh, potentially from Dianne Feinstein in a couple years. Mm. I mean, did we see any of that last year, do you think, even in, in towards the end of the session, you know, decisions or, you know, ideas, pushes from Newsom that you might have said, hmm, maybe there's some, some national, uh, you know, framing going on here? Oh, absolutely. I think that, you know, when the decision or the leaked uh, document about the, the decision on abortion came down from the Supreme Court. He went out in front of a Planned Parenthood clinic and was very 
um, you know, critical of his own party for not doing more to defend the right to an abortion. Um, he has talked, you know, this fight on big oil. You, yes, they sort of follow his, his agenda and what he wants to get done already for the state and for Democrats nationally. But all of these things, you know, the more time he spends picking fights with Republican governors um, and criticizing, you know, constructive, <laughs> offering constructive criticism of his own party, people look at these things through a national lens and like, what is, think, what's the long game for him here? Right. And he, you know, comes to Sacramento for the second term with a legislature that's had a lot of turnover because of redistricting, term limits. I mean, how do you see that power balance and kind of see how that might affect some of Newsom's agenda on issues both, you know, relating to California and also that may have a national impact? Yeah, I think it's something to watch. I'm I'm not sure if I know exactly how the next two years of this legislative session, the next four years of his term are going to play out. But there are a lot of new lawmakers who are trying to find their rhythm, trying to find, um, you know, the, the policy areas they care about, um, trying to figure out how a budget, uh, a budget process works. Um, so I think Newsom, you know, can uh, make some asks on things like this uh, oil, oil profit ceiling proposal he put out last month. Um, but I think the legislature, you know, also has their own issues to to figure out. And um, I wouldn't be surprised this year if it's maybe kind of a slower year as a lot of these new lawmakers try and find their footing. I mean, some have talked about it as kind of a year of going back and kind of having some more oversight over all the spending that's happened over the past few sessions. Is that something you hear from mm. Newsom's administration and lawmakers, maybe just like a year of accountability? Mm. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense, especially as, as the state might be kind of pinching its pennies with a, a looming deficit. Is all the spending they've done over the past two years really panning out? Um, what maybe could be held for a few years as the state finances kind of stabilize? And, um, you know, yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense for them. And looking ahead to next week, you hinted at this, you know, budget. Newsom will unveil his first proposal uh, by January 10th. How do you expect that, you know, the the kind of dwindling revenues that we've seen in recent months uh, to the state affecting kind of his policy outlook and maybe, you know, some of the demands that could come from the legislature on issues like homelessness, like housing, like climate change? Yeah, I think it'll be tricky. And I think that's one of the reasons we probably won't see any major policy announcements today is, you know, they got to find money to pay for a new policy announcement. Um, and that's looking increasingly hard to come by this year. Um, I think that, you know, Newsom in the past few, well, over the past few years, but really we saw him uh, make some moves over the, the past couple months on is accountability for local governments um, with homelessness in their own communities. So making sure that um, cities and counties are doing their part, building enough housing and getting enough people into shelter. Um, he's He's been really pushing that, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see more of that um, sort of accountability mechanisms in his um, upcoming budget proposal. Right. I mean, we've even seen his administration pursue legal action against cities for not mm-hmm. uh, doing their fair share of approving enough housing. Is that kind of along the lines of what you might expect when it comes to housing or even, you know, all the homelessness dollars that have gone out in recent state budgets? Yeah, I mean, they've spent a lot of $15 billion over the past two years. I think that he's 
going to really want to make sure that that money is going where it needs to and that it's, um, you know, doing, doing what it should be and that um, cities and counties are spending that money wisely. Nicole Nixon uh, in Sacramento, before I let you go, any last uh, thoughts about today, today's speech, things that you'll be listening for um, as the governor takes his march uh, to the Capitol and then takes his second oath of office? I mean, we've talked about his potential ambitions for a higher office. I think I'll be really looking for how he paints California um, as sort of an island in the, in the rest of the country and himself as a leader of this um, of this place and, you know, sort of his vision for the next four years um, and, and how he hopes to leave it in four years. All right. Nicole Nixon, politics reporter with Cap Radio. You can check out more of her work at capradio.org, where she's previewing uh, Newsom's second term. Nicole, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. We're talking about Governor Gavin Newsom's inauguration. He's being sworn into his second term today. And we're looking ahead to his administration's next four years and assessing his last term. We want to hear from you. How do you evaluate Governor Newsom's first term as governor of California? What should Newsom's priorities be in the next year or more? And maybe would you like to see Newsom run for president, have other political ambitions? Call us now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Stay with us. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Governor Newsom's being sworn into his second term today, and we're looking ahead to his administration's next four years and reassessing his last term. I'm joined now by Marisa Lagos, politics correspondent at KQED and co-host of KQED's Political Breakdown show and podcast. Hey, Marisa. Hey, guy. And Scott Schaefer, senior editor for KQED's California Politics and Government Desk and co-host of Political Breakdown. Hey, Scott. Hey, hey. So... Before we start, I just want to also uh, ask our audience, we want to hear from you. What should Newsom's priorities uh, be in the next year? We're going to talk a lot about Newsom's first term in office and want to get your thoughts on how he's done in the job so far. You can email your comments and questions to forum at kqed.org or find us on Twitter or Facebook, Instagram. We're at KQED Forum. And give us a call now, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Okay, Marisa, let's talk Newsom's first term. Um, You know, he took office beginning of 2019. It seems like 
decades ago. God, now, I mean, kind of take us through some of the biggest areas we've seen Newsom leave his impact on uh, in state policy, state politics. Yeah, I mean, you know, Newsom, you have to think about sort of where he came from. I think he came in and has always governed the way a former mayor might, right? Like he had some issues, including homelessness, which obviously have become an even bigger issue over the course of his term. But I think that his kind of heart was in that already to to be looking at that and trying to find solutions. Um, You know, he's made a big deal about things like early childhood education, about sort of like broader equality. I think um, in some of those areas, he's had some big wins and, you know, maybe not gone as far as he would like. I mean, I think what you see with a lot of what he's done is, you know, the sort of reality hitting ambition. He has bold ideas. He likes to talk about them in very verbose terms. Um, And even with a Democratic legislature, even with, uh, you know, surpluses in recent years, he's struggled to make a difference when, like, let's talk about education, right? I mean, our school system is still among some of the lowest per pupil spending. We've had huge challenges around COVID. Um, You know, having Dana Williamson, his new chief of staff yesterday on Political Breakdown, she just talked about how much of his first term was really sort of at least the second half of it was really um, kind of taken off the rails by first the pandemic and then the recall attempt. And so I think if you look at everything he's attempted to do, he's made he's chipped away at a lot of these big issues, but he hasn't probably made the strides he would like to be able to present to folks if, you know, say maybe he does run for president one day. And Scott Schaefer, no matter what Newsom thought he was getting into in 2019, COVID changed all of that. It did. And not just for him, but for every governor and for President Trump and Joe Biden. I mean, it really uh, was, you know, I don't want to say completely unanticipated because there were warnings that we knew this was kind of thing was coming. But yeah, it just you have to and there is no playbook for it. There was a lot of, uh, you know, kind of uh, audibles, you know, to use a football term where you're just kind of uh, making it up as you go along. And that creates a lot of stress. It creates a lot of anger, as we saw with the recall. But I think also, you know, in spite of all that, and I don't mean to set that aside because it's a big deal and it continues to kind of ripple out in all kinds of ways, including for kids and education. You know, this governor, probably more than any governor in 50 or 70 years, made more appointments to key positions, including the new Secretary of State, Shirley Weber, he named, Alex Padilla, the senator, Rob Bonta, the attorney general. Uh, he's named three of seven members of the state Supreme Court and made some firsts there with the first uh, Latina to be the uh, chief justice. We have now the first openly lesbian member of the court, uh, first openly gay black member. Those are all his appointees. And so, you know, he's he's leaving his mark in spite of the pandemic and all the things that that disrupted. And I would also say, and he did this very early on, uh, you know, he put a, a, a you know a moratorium on executions in California, right. and I think if he had not done that, there were a lot of cases that were ready. They had kind of exhausted their legal appeals, and he would have had to deal with executions. And so I think you know we saw the Oregon governor do something similar up uh, up north. So you know I think he has left his mark, and you know as Nicole Nixon was saying, now the job is to implement a lot of these big ideas like care courts, for example, uh, that he helped push through the legislature. <clears throat> Marisa, for all the disruptions that Scott talked about, it's amazing to see just how similar and steady Newsom's numbers in polls at the ballot boxes have been. Elected with 61.9% of the vote in 2018, 61.8% in the 2021 uh, recall, and then 59% in his re-election campaign. I mean, for all that's happened in yeah. the last four years, what explains that? That the numbers are baked in, that people, especially for the top of the ticket, vote for a party, you know, and I think... And- and to give 
give Newsom some credit. I think Democrats have, you know, there was so much frustration during the pandemic. So I do think there was a little bit of sort of bleed during that year if you looked at polling. But ultimately, Democrats came home to him and so did Democratic-leaning independents when it came to the recall and obviously his reelection. Um, and I think that, you know, at a time when we have such a divisive Republican Party, when that when the Republican Party has really just lost any power in California, um, and when Newsom has, as Nicole alluded to, really stepped up and kind of beat his chest and been willing to go after that MAGA base and that sort of like extremism, I actually think... Um, a lot of Democrats that were maybe frustrated with him a few years ago are feeling a little more energized about the governor and, and about, if nothing else, you know, maybe not always what what actually gets done. Because, again, it's a huge state. It's a huge government. It's very hard to feel like a direct impact other than negative ones, I think, a lot of times. Um, but people watch him. I mean, we hosted the debate here at KQED, Scott and I, and I, just, you know, hearing from folks I know in the Bay Area, there was a lot of people who are not like diehard Newsom stands. They're not like out there you know, campaigning for Democrats just because they're Democrats. And they like to see him and hear him take the fight to people. Yeah, I think he really stepped into what many thought was a vacuum with uh, Joe Biden not being the best advocate for Democrat policies and going after Republicans. It's not his nature, whereas Newsom seems to thrive on that. I don't think we're going to hear that today in his inaugural speech necessarily. But I, th you know, I think we'll see a continuation of that in 2023 and beyond, whether or not he runs for president. Um, you know, and, and, and as a result of that, you also make yourself a target. You know, and California, San Francisco in particular, has long been a target of Fox News. He seems to relish that. I'm not sure that's necessarily the best thing for the state, uh, you know, but he, he doesn't uh, shy from a fight with Republicans or, you know, extremists. I mean, you both have followed Newsom since the beginnings of his political career. It seems like part of kind of holding on to, to Democratic support is maybe going a little bit outside of his comfort zone as someone who comes from maybe a little bit more of a moderate small business background. I mean, how is he balance those kind of two pushes and pulls Marisa throughout his career and in the governor's office. I mean, I you know, I actually think this is one way where it actually probably squares like his approach to governance with not the most vocal wings of the Democratic Party, but where a lot of normal people sit, which is that he's very socially liberal and he's been willing to you know, put him his own political capital on the line for things like gay marriage, you know, for things like the execution moratorium, um, you know, for speaking out, you know, against uh, states that are banning abortion, but also for trans youth and things like that. But he's also, yeah, he has that business background. He is a little bit more, I would say, fiscally conservative, some, certainly than the more progressive wing of the party. But because he supports a lot of those progressive agendas, he's kind of been able to thread that needle where he's going, OK, we're going to fund this thing that, you know, the left wing of the Democratic legislature wants to see. But it's going to be one time funding or it's going to be an infusion of cash that doesn't hurt the budget long term. Um, and so I do think from a political perspective, you have to give Newsom some credit there. Um, but I, I think that the, it is going to be fascinating to watch. I mean, some of the things coming up in, in the coming months include this fight with the oil industry. That's one area where he's tacked very far left. He has not been afraid to fight with business, right? He's he's taken the fight to them. But again, that is because he's put his finger up and looked around and gone, nobody likes oil companies, you know? And so he's not going to, though, like when it comes to specific, say, details on bills around um, fast food workers and how people get paid or how businesses kind of on a broad 
brushstroke, you know, have to treat their employees, he's been much more willing to compromise. And he kind of gets it both ways, right? He gets a little of what the chamber wants, but he still gets the headline that he passed this progressive Well, we saw that, you know, uh, in the mayor's race in L.A., you know, where he does have ties to business and business people and tech. He declined uh, to endorse either Karen Bass or Rick Caruso. Um, Caruso clearly was, you know, a former Republican, more conservative than Karen Bass. He stayed out of that, um, you know, and we saw him also uh, opposing the ballot measure in November that where he sided with Republicans and the Chamber of Commerce to avoid uh, attacks for um, climate change that he thought would be bad for the, you know, the overall budget. So he does thread that needle. I think also you're seeing, you know, he said once, I'm not the mayor of California, but in some ways he acts like he is, you know, he gets into the nitty gritty of the budget. I mean, we're going to see him on Tuesday. He goes up and talks for hours, uh, you know, without notes or a few notes. So he is very immersed in the details of governing, uh, which you can argue both ways is a good thing or a bad thing. We've been talking about Governor Gavin Newsom's first term in office as he prepares to take his second oath uh, today with Scott Schaefer and Marisa Lagos of KQED. We're now going to go to Southern California and, and speak with Mike Gatto. He's a former Democratic State Assembly member from the L.A. area, represented parts of the San Fernando Valley in the State Assembly. Mike Gatto, welcome to KQED Forum. It is always great to be on KQED. Nice, uh, nice to have you. So, you know, looking at uh, Newsom as he goes into the second term, what do you see kind of as maybe the biggest piece of unfinished business uh, from his first term in office? Well, I'm going to go a little bit idealistic here, and um, hopefully I can walk the viewer through my logic. Politics is a pyramid, and at the very bottom of the pyramid, you know, are city council races and, and, you know, offices like dog catcher and water boards. And at the very top, of course, is president of the United States. And much, you know, I mean, much of I've, I've been listening to the last half hour and much of the conversation and much of the conversation with Gavin Newsom always is this talk about him reaching the top level of the pyramid, becoming president of the United States. But it is very, very hard to get to that last rung. And there's really not much above California governor. He could, in theory, become a senator. He could become a you know, vice presidential candidate. But there's very little above California governor. And for most people, it's the pinnacle of their political career. I believe that what should mark his second term is not the pursuit for higher office, but the pursuit for the history books. He has got to start to realize that this could be the highest he goes. And therefore, that history is going to judge him, that it is not a race to get to the next office and a race to keep going up the pyramid. And yet some of what Newsom is talking about uh, or hinting at for a second term doesn't come with all that much glory. Things like accountability, checking in on all the money that's been spent in the budget, making sure appropriations for things like building affordable housing is actually making its way down to local governments. Housing is getting approved. I mean, what do you make of that push for what his administration is, is calling housing accountability? Well, it's both commendable and, as you noted, it is also not glorious, right? These are things that clearly need to be done. And, uh, you know, he focused on the bread and butter of governing. But at the same time, you know, um, I think Condoleezza Rice was very famous for saying something like, you know, the pilot never gets credit for the plane that doesn't crash, you know. (laughs) And these things that, you know, are are done in sort of quiet of of government and – keep things running smoothly, he's not going to necessarily get credit for. So, you know, I take my hat off to him for doing that. But I think, you know, ultimately, people are going to judge him 
touched on those very tangible, you know, almost mayor-like qualities that you just talked about. What did he do about homelessness? What does he do about affordability in our cities? What has he done about mass transit in our cities? These are the things that are the issues right now, and that's how people are going to judge him. And we actually have a, a call on the line from Paul in San Francisco about homelessness. I want to take this right now. Paul, uh, go ahead. You're on forum. Yeah, so I have the perspective of uh, third-generation Californian. Uh, the homeless issue is not going to be solved by cities because a lot of the homeless individuals are transients. But many, most of them probably have alcohol and drug addiction problems. The homeless issue is going to be solved through the state legislature and having rehab facilities throughout the state funded largely by the state. The cities are overwhelmed. They don't have the ability or the place in their cities to put rehab units. So it's not a housing issue with the homeless. It's an addiction, and uh, people have to be treated for their addiction and their mental illness. And by saying the cities have to solve these problems, I think it's ingenuous. Thank you so much for that, Paul. Mike Gatto, what do you you know make of that, this idea? And you hear this from mayors all the time. We can't solve homelessness by ourselves in our city. We need that regional, county, state support. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of accuracy in what Caller Paul from San Francisco just said. Um, you know, I believe that uh, the problem with homelessness lies with so many officials treating it like a purely economic issue, uh, that it's only a matter of rational people making rational choices. Uh, you know, if you've ever talked to homeless people, which I have a lot, you realize that there are a lot of people out there who need our help. And that, you know, in some cases, the right thing to do and the, the humane thing to do is to in an involuntary way. And so I believe that, you know, homelessness is only going to get better if we start treating it like a non-economic problem. And as the caller said, we do need more rehab facilities, but there must be a component where the most acutely homeless and the ones who cause most of the problems that frankly give other homeless people a bad name. If we, we need to, the system needs to make sure that those people are treated in some cases involuntarily. Newsom's big uh, policy initiative on this idea last year was Care Court, uh, basically using the uh, judiciary to compel uh, people into care, folks with severe mental illness, many of whom are on California streets. What do you see as maybe the next frontier, the next thing that the administration needs to uh, pursue along this path? Or maybe is it just making sure Care Court gets implemented uh, in, in a, in a well-functioning way? Well, I was very flattered when he adopted Care Court. As you know, I proposed that in 2019, and I put a ballot measure in place that uh, we hit the ground for signatures uh, right when, right in March, uh, March 15, 2020. And, and you guys are remembering what happened that week. Uh, the, the, the whole state closed for COVID. And uh, so I take my hat off to Governor Newsom for adopting the idea of Care Court. Um, what I believe, though, is that, um, and I've had this conversation with a lot of civic types who genuinely care about the, the homelessness issue and have studied it. What they say is things like, you know, Mike, if I go down the street and I expose myself to a bunch of children, I will be arrested and I will be forced to go to, uh, you know, register as a sex offender and go through the system. If I go down the street and I wave a machete at somebody, which happens in Los Angeles quite a bit, or I wave a pipe at somebody, I'll probably get arrested for assault and battery. Um, but we as a society are ignoring these crimes because they're the cohort of the people who are committing them. We don't know what to do with them. We, we, you know, the police are jaded. The, the prosecutors are jaded. 
The system can't handle it. I believe we need to create a parallel system within the courts that treats an arrest as an opportunity. It's an opportunity to get that person services, not to just throw them in the system, not to penalize them, but to get them services. And if we start to treat encounters with law enforcement and people who break the law as a chance to actually get that person into the rehab that the caller mentioned, then I think we'll be successful. And that's what I'd like to see Gavin Newsom do in the second term. Homelessness is one of the issues Michelle wants to see Gavin Newsom address in his second term. She lists homelessness, climate change, income inequality, especially as it pertains to underfunded schools in a tweet. And Kathy writes, I'd like to see the governor focus on prison reform, not just for the humanity, but could also save a lot of money. We got just about 30 seconds left with you, Mike Gatto. Newsom next week, big initiative unveiling his proposal for his budget. How could a potential shortfall in your mind uh, kind of change his governing calculus in that way? Great question. I can tell you in my seven years in the legislature, we never once had a surplus. I never was able to seek a budget allotment for my district. It's going to be a whole new world in Sacramento when the lawmakers the last five years who have had it very easy and very able to fund whatever they wanted when they've got to start cutting. Let's see how they deal with it. And it starts with the top with Mr. Newsom. All right. Former State Assemblyman Mike Gatto, thanks so much for joining us. Always appreciate your insight on these issues. Thanks for having me. You're listening to Forum. I'm Guy Marzarati in for Mina Kim. And we're talking about Governor Gavin Newsom heading into his second term in the horseshoe, as they call it in Sacramento, looking ahead to his administration's next four years. We want to hear from you. Call with your thoughts about Newsom at 866-733-6786 or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Stay with us. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You're listening to Forum. I'm Guy Marzarati. In for Mina Kim. Governor Gavin Newsom is being sworn into his second term today, and we're looking ahead to his administration's next four years in office. Back with me in studio, Scott Schaefer, Marisa Lagos from KQED's politics team. And I want to talk to you both about you had this exclusive interview uh, yesterday with Dana Williamson, Newsom's new uh, chief of staff. And she talked a bit about Newsom's framing of rights as a way of, of expressing California's place uh, in the national political scene. I want to play a little bit of Newsom talking about this in November uh, on election night when he was elected to his second term. Take a listen. We have governors that won their re-elections tonight in other states that are banning books, that are banning speech, that are banning abortion. And here we are in California moving in a completely different 
direction. And it's with that passion that I bring to this second term a resolve to do more to advance that cause of freedom. And Scott, Dana Williamson talked a little bit about this uh, in your interview yesterday. What does that mean to Newsom, this idea of, of reframing of rights? Well, I think he likes to do that, sort of turn these things on, on their head that the Republicans, you know, typically are better than Democrats at framing issues. And the whole term pro-life, you know, has been used by the right, by the Republican Party, especially around abortion. And he's kind of turned that on his head a bit uh, over the last couple of years, saying, you know, we're pro-life of the life of the child. You know, once the child is born, we want to make sure they have health care, no matter what their immigration status is. Uh, We're pro-life. We're against gun violence and people dying in the streets. We want to do mitigate that. Uh, And so I think even, you know, climate goals and LGBT rights, I mean, I think you can frame, he's trying to frame all these things around being a different kind of pro-life, redefining what it means to be pro-life and not just life in the uterus, but, you know, life out here in the world. Uh, And I think, you know, that's one thing Democrats uh, are responding to is his ability and willingness to kind of come up with these different framings uh, that a lot of Democrats have shied away from. And Newsom's administration has seen a lot of turnover in the first four years. Williamson comes in. She used to work for former Governor uh, Jerry Brown. Marisa, how did she kind of talk about how she sees this next year, two years, three years, four years uh, going for the administration? Yeah, I mean, I think some of this is both like her personality and like what she like wants to do, which is put her head down and work, right? Get some of this stuff done. And that's been a critique of Newsom over the years, that he's got these grand ideas and plans, but are they being executed? And so I think she and other folks within the administration see this second term, you know, they've gotten through the recall, right? And that was a big thing. It almost made his reelection just a walk in the park. Um, They have a very strong majority in the legislature. And even with, I think, the sort of contracting of the state budget, they still it's not you know, we're not in the place we were when Jerry Brown was governor. So I think she sees this as a real opportunity to move forward um, and really try to, like, dig in on some of these issues. You mentioned care courts, homelessness, you know, this question of sort of forcing cities to actually comply with their own housing goals. I think we're going to see some of that oversight and then a lot of try to implementation. And and I do think like. It's a little in the weeds, but, you know, that's what we do as politics reporters. I think it's going to be fascinating to sort of watch um, the internal you know, mechanism, you know, how that office operates. Because even though you've had very amazing, accomplished people helping lead it with Newsom, there's been a lot of rumors of a lot of kind of strife between some of the top aides in the past that there wasn't necessarily, um, I mean, his first chief of staff, Anna O'Leary, was a former Clinton staffer. She's a brilliant legal mind, a brilliant political mind. She'd never been in Sacramento. So I think she spent a lot of her first couple of years trying to kind of get her feet on the ground and understand uh, how things were. Jim Debu, a very close ally of Dana Williamson uh, came in and was really sort of, I think, in damage control between the pandemic and the recall. So I do think this is an opportunity, both sort of external because of external and internal factors for them to try to execute on a lot of the stuff that Newsom's put forward. Well, it's interesting. We, you know, we've talked over the years really about the sort of tortured relationship between Jerry Brown and uh, Gavin Newsom for various reasons, and they're very, in some ways, competitive with each other. With each other. Um, and I, you know, I'm thinking to Jerry Brown 1.0. You know, in the second time that he, his second term back in, you know, 19. 
80, I guess, or no, 1978 to 82, you know, and he took his eye off the ball. He ran for president in 1980. It was a disaster. He ran for the Senate against Pete Wilson and lost. And and then his judges got recalled, you know, Rose Byrd and the others. So, I, you know, I think perhaps Newsom uh, is maybe, um, you know, wanting to preserve and build on what he's done rather than trying to reach that top pinnacle of presidency, you know, because if you look, there's only been 46 presidents in the whole history of the United States, right? I think it's 46 now. Uh, and so, yeah, it may happen, it may not happen, but you can't plot it out. And so I think what he really needs to do, and it's sort of making a virtue of necessity, is put your nose down, make sure that you're getting the most for your money. You don't have a lot of money to throw around this year. So you've got to make the most of what you've got. And you've got to make some hard decisions about where you're going to expand the social safety net, where you're going to nip and tuck, where you're going to take money from the rainy day fund, which Jerry Brown helped create uh, and kind of smooth over some of these shortfalls. So, you know, he's got uh, some very nuts and bolts things to focus on in the next year. I mean, Marisa, to your point, a lot of it goes back to this idea of just keeping an eye on where the money that's already been allocated is actually going. We have a listener who writes, please talk more about the details as it relates to homelessness. And is Newsom's approach to homelessness helping? Maybe too early to say. Yeah. So at the end of the year, Newsom pulled what I think a lot of mayors and county leaders saw as a stunt, but I think he would argue was uh, legitimate pressure by essentially rejecting all the homelessness plans that counties had put forward throughout the state. And within that, uh, withholding about a billion dollars in aid that they had all been counting on to sort of fulfill those plans. I think part of the problem here is sort of like bureaucratic well, it's real and it's bureaucratic. During the pandemic, homelessness went up. And so a lot of counties were very nervous about putting ambitious goals in terms of reducing their homelessness because they were basing it on pre-pandemic numbers. And they knew that those numbers were already out of date. And so I think they were like, oh, well, we're just, I mean, overall, the plans were only going to reduce homelessness by like 2% over the next two years. And so Newsom you know, kind of threw a fit, uh, said he was putting a hold on the money. They all came up to Sacramento, had a big meeting. Um, he's released the funds. And, you know, whether or not you think what he did was sort of an appropriate way to, to move things forward, I do think it shows that there is more oversight from the state than we've ever seen. I mean, his predecessor, Jerry Brown, really didn't deal with homelessness. It wasn't he didn't see it as a state issue or housing. Yeah. And so I think that, um, you know, Newsom is going and we're seeing this with both homelessness and housing. San Francisco has basically gotten a lot of pushback from the state over their housing, uh, you know, rejecting some housing plans. So that is where I think the rubber meets the road and then also care courts. Yeah. And I, I probably should amend what I just said about housing and Jerry Brown because he did sign more than a dozen bills, although a little begrudgingly, very begrudgingly. Right, and then he signed them and he said, don't send me any more <laughs> next year. Um, so, you know, obviously, Gavin Newsom is much more uh, activist when it comes to government and seeing the positive things the government can do and the faith that he has in government. You know, where he is spending billions of dollars on these problems. I do think it's too soon to see what impact it's going to have, but it's going to fall to him and his administration to really hold local government's feet to the fire on care courts, on, you know, shelter and supportive services, wraparound services, all those things. And the key question is, will people see the difference? Right. You know, it's such a visible problem. We have a call on this topic from Wei Min. Wei Min, thanks for calling in. Yeah, yeah. Hi. Uh, Thank you for taking my call. I have a radical uh, different idea, and it will cost almost nothing to build a shelter, uh, to, uh, to give uh, the homeless people a place where they can set up their tent, have electricity and water and bathroom. 
they that's what they are right now. They are spread around the city, uh, not sheltered. They just have a tent. Uh, so I heard that uh, <clears throat> using the, the government money building shelter costs 200000 or more per unit. I think we are thinking um, we are treating a problem in a very different way. And if you just designate a piece of land where they can safely set up their tent, providing water, electricity, bathroom, I think that will solve 90% of the problem. And that almost costs nothing. Thank you so much for uh, calling in, Wayman. Appreciate it. I mean, this is maybe what Newsom means when he says, I don't want to be mayor of California. At the local level, you hear in every big city these, these debates. Should we be building more affordable housing? Should we be focusing on temporary uh, solutions to house the homeless? I think in Newsom's mind, it's probably more like, just get me the results. Yeah, it is. And I think that was part of his frustration with the you know blocking the money that Marisa alluded to a moment ago. Look, the easy problems have been solved. It's the tough ones that stick around for decades. I mean, this goes back to Dianne Feinstein when she was mayor, you know, and every mayor. I mean, Willie Brown sort of threw up his hands and then was forced to deal with it. It's a tough problem. And I think the pandemic has made it worse. The cost of living has made it worse uh, in California. And so and, you know, we we have a relatively uh, benign climate, you know, for people. If you're going to be living without without housing, you know, it's you'd rather be here than Michigan, probably. Um, so, you know, it's a very tough problem. It, it is going to cost money. But I would add, not only we talked earlier that local governments can't solve it, I don't think the state can solve it by itself either. This is really a federal problem. It's not just California that has homeless problems. And for many decades now, the, the, uh, the federal government has turned away from funding HUD and uh, public housing. And, uh, you know, I think that there, and there really isn't much discussion of that well, in D.C. And, and that also, I will push back on this caller a bit, because what he's talking about is the visible street homelessness, which is clearly a crisis and a huge problem. But there are thousands of families in California living on couches, in cars, in shelters. I mean, there is just a level and to Scott's point of economic insecurity in this, especially in the state, but across the nation, that no one agency can solve. And I and I do think we have to be thoughtful about that to say that, like, when you look at the numbers, which are staggering and, and as upsetting and, and awful as, you know, the street sort of situation is and the behavior we see and, and the crisis, um, there are so many people who are also struggling that are just invisible. And I think you're going to see the Newsom administration in 2023 and beyond uh, really, like we talked about, hold local governments accountable for how the money's being spent and to call out states, uh, counties rather, and local governments that aren't doing their share. I mean, we're already seeing an investigation of San Francisco by the state in terms of why it takes so long to get housing approved in this uh, city and county. Uh, we're the it's very slowest in the whole state. Uh, so I think you're going to see uh, some, some more of that uh, because, you know, you can't just continue throwing money at it. You got to get some some results for it. You're listening to Forum. I'm Guy Marzarati, in for Mina Kim. And now I want to pivot to talk about one thing right at the top of Newsom's uh, agenda in the second term, something that's already kind of underway, this special session to tackle oil prices and gas <laughs> prices uh, in California. Maurice, I'm going to come to you on the policy of this in a second because I know you've been following it. But Scott, politically, kind of just remind us why Newsom is, has picked this fight. Yeah, well, of course, this really bubbled up during his reelection campaign. And Republicans, you know, they, they have 
consistently over the last few years latched onto the gas tax and high gas prices. And when, you know, at, at some point in the fall, gas prices were approaching $7 or even over $7 a gallon in some parts of California. Uh, they're ne- they've dropped down now. So, you know, when you look at the oil company profits, uh, you know, California also is one of the very few, if not the only oil producing state that doesn't have an oil extraction tax. Uh, but when you look at these huge record setting profits that oil companies are making as the gas prices are going through the ceiling and putting so much strain on consumers, especially people who drive long distances, truck drivers and people who, uh, you know, drive to work and so on. You know, I think he felt pressure during the campaign to, to say something and do something and say he was going to try to, um, you know, get some of this money back uh, into the pockets of consumers. Now, prices have come down uh, quite a bit since then. But, you know, oil companies, to big tobacco, uh, pharma, you know, these are great targets to go after. They don't have a lot of uh, defenders. That said, they do have very powerful industries behind them. And so with, you know, they did reduce this proposal from being a tax, which would have been a two-thirds heavy, heavier lift to a penalty, which requires just a majority vote. But, you know, as we said earlier, there's a lot of new members of the legislature and uh, whether they're going to want to do this as one of their first acts, we'll, we'll see. We haven't really, we have to see what the details are and what, what comes out in the hearings. Right. I would say, you know, the falling gas prices, the legislative calendar, it all kind of uh, supports the idea of moving on this pretty quickly while it's, there's still some resonance. But Marisa, we've seen just a few proposals and not a lot of action. I mean, what policies could potentially come out of this and when? Yeah. So he called a special session and the lawmakers showed up and then went home. (laughs) Um, But, you know, that that wasn't surprising. And I don't think that was actually a knock on Newsom specifically and just the fact that there wasn't a lot of meat on the bones. I mean, the big thing he's talked about when he came out with this in the fall. And and let's remember, as as Scott said there, the oil prices were insane. Um, The election was coming and he was really trying, I think, to help push down those prices, but also score a political win. So he called for this and he said, we're going to impose a profit, a windfall profit tax on oil companies. He sent shifted to say that would be a penalty, which has implications in terms of it wouldn't need as many votes to pass. A tax needs two thirds. A penalty arguably needs just a simple majority in the legislature. Um, But that is something that I think is going to be sort of the biggest point of debate in all of this in the sense of like, does it even matter? Would it work? Could you do it? What is the mechanism? We've already seen some legislation from Democratic members who are allied with Newsom, including Nancy Skinner uh, from the East Bay and Phil Ting here in San Francisco. Those have to do with, I think, kind of easier uh, to bite off chunks of this. Um, Things like, you know, is there uh, could they create a, a schedule essentially for refinery maintenance so you don't have multiple refineries coming offline at the same time? There's some antitrust concerns there, but arguably the state could do a better job of sort of managing that if they change state law. Um, you know, I think Newsom would also like to see uh, some mechanisms to not only look at refinery profits, but other types um, of of sort of. Uh, profits with the oil companies, but we're still waiting for a lot of these details. And I think the fascinating thing is back to the politics. Oil spent eight million dollars on lawmaker races this year. Um, you know, one of them, the most, the highest spending one, was Angelique Ashby, who actually Dana Williamson ran that race, his new chief of staff. She is now in leadership. She has said, even though oil spent a bunch of money to bring her to the table, that she's actually with Newsom on this. And so I think the politics within the legislature are going to be absolutely fascinating because someone like hers from Sacramento 
she doesn't have the same pressure. But a, a Democrat from Kern County, where there's a bunch of oil jobs, is going to feel very differently. And looming over all of this is the fact that California's great budget times may be coming to an end. Newsom's going to roll out his proposal next week, but the legislative analyst office is projecting a $24 billion shortfall. Uh, Holly writes, is our current budget problems a result of the payouts that Newsom insisted on when gas prices were so high? She wonders if maybe it would have been better to invest that money in electric transportation or mass transit. Scott, your thoughts on that? And also, I do somehow wonder, is there a world in which this budget shortfall maybe makes it easier for Newsom to deal with the legislature and and say no to proposals that might be appear too progressive. Well, and we saw that in the last uh, last fall when he vetoed more than 150 bills. Many of them, he's saying we can't afford it because of the uncertain economy. Um, yeah, I think. Uh, it, well, first of all, in terms of the rebate, no, that was that did that was a one-time expense. Essentially, you know, there are things that people wanted to spend some of that money on that would have incurred ongoing costs, and that would have been a problem. Uh, you know, by refunding some of that money. I mean, you know, when Jerry Brown was governor the first time, they had a huge surplus, and they didn't figure out a way to send it back to voters. And what do we get? We got Prop 13 because there was a voter, uh, a taxpayer revolt. And so I think that, uh, you know, Newsom and his administration understood that you need to do something to address the anxiety that people were feeling, not just because of gas prices, but all everything. You know, the, the inflation was, you know, over 9%. Um, so, I, I th- I, you know, maybe it was making a virtue out of necessity again by sending that money back to people. But uh, I think they had to do some of that. And we don't want to get into the GAN limit, but they're also... <laughs> And let's be clear, they did pass a $50 billion climate package that includes a lot of funding for electric vehicles and yeah. transit and transportation. In you know, So it's not as if that's... They ignore I it. heard the phrase GAN limits. So that's uh, my cue to wrap yep, it we're up. Gonna <laughs> here now. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Scott Schaefer, Senior Editor for KQED's California Politics and Government Desk. Marisa Lagos, KQED Politics Correspondent. Thanks so much, y'all. Thank, Thank you. Guy. Earlier, we heard from Nicole Nixon, politics reporter at Cap Radio, and former LA Assemblyman Mike Gatto. This hour of forum is produced by Caroline Smith and Grace Wan. Marlena Jackson Rotondo is our engagement producer, and Susan Britton is our lead producer. Our senior producer is Susan Davis. Engineers are Danny Bringer, Christopher Beal, and Jim Bennett. Our intern is Lulu Ralda, Vice President of News and Ethan Tozen Lindsay, and Chief Content Officer Holly Kernan. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising-Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone? 
hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years. Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles. The Snap Judgment Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcast.